Welcome to the Harmony Christian Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged by today's message from Pastor Josh Shoemaker. Second Kings chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 1. Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master. Because, or he was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given him victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, if only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, thus, thus says the girl who is from the land of Israel. The king of Syria said, go now, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised, when the letter comes to you, that I have sent Naaman my servant to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive? That this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks to quarrel with me. So it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent to the king and said, Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in the land of Israel. Then Naaman went with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elijah sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abana and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in rage. And his servant came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his aides, and came and stood before him. And he said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. But he said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. 
So Naaman said, then if not, please let your servant be given two mule loads of dirt of earth. For your servant will no longer offer either burnt offering or sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for your word. Jesus, we thank you for your word. Father, your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit and joint and marrow. God, I pray that today that this word would pierce our hearts this morning. Father, that we wouldn't gain more head knowledge of Scripture, but instead we would allow the Scripture to transform who we are, Father. And Father, if there's any Naamans in the room here this morning, God, that are dealing with a hidden disease, God, I pray that healing would become would come to them here this morning. God, let my words and my preaching not be with persuasive words of human wisdom, but God, let my preaching be with the spirit and power that our faith would not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Father, we honor you and we thank you for your presence and your anointing. In Jesus' name, amen. Naaman was a heavily decorated commander in the Syrian army. In fact, the Bible says that it was through Naaman by the Lord. We're not going to preach that this morning, but there's a conundrum, isn't it? Through Naaman by the Lord that Syria had victory. The victory of Syria was credited to this one man named Naaman. Naaman was a wealthy man, undoubtedly, undoubtedly wealthy, highly favored by his king, feared by his enemies, but was a leper. When Naaman would go home at night, and he would take off his uniform that had medals shining all over it from his accomplishments and his achievements. When he would go home at night and he would take off that uniform, there was something underneath the uniform that was eating at him. His skin was wasting away. That Naaman, though had all kinds of respect and prestige and honor, he suffered from leprosy. Matthew Henry in his commentary says it like this, Naaman was as great as the world could possibly make someone. Yet the basest slave in all of Syria wouldn't change skins with him. He was as great as the world could possibly make him. Had as much honor as you could imagine. Was a powerful, feared man. But not the basest slave in Syria would be willing to change places with Naaman, which tells me this, Naaman, of all of your accomplishments, in all of your wealth, all of your prestigious reputation, none of it matters if you are a leper. None of it matters if you go home at night and underneath all of the persona, all of the outward glory, there's something eating you alive. And I want to tell you here this morning, I'm going to come out of the gate shooting. I want to tell you this morning, you may have success in your business. 
You may have a good reputation. You may have all your life and pieces put together. You may have a shiny uniform. But what I want to ask you this morning is when you go home and no one is watching, no one can see you and you take off the uniform, is there something eating you alive? Is there something eating you alive? Something that no one else sees that you, can't, that you can cover up. Some pain that no level of achievement can heal. Some stress that no amount of public praise can bring peace to. Is there an anxiousness that no matter how much vacation you take, it won't be silenced on the inside of you? Is there sin that no matter how much good you do, you can't seem to balance the weight of guilt that is on your life? If you relate to any of that, you know well what I say and what I mean by no matter how much you've accomplished, no matter how much you're honored, if you have leprosy, something eating on the inside of you, none of that matters. There's something else that you need to know about leprosy to fully understand the spiritual significance of this passage. Leprosy was a disease that was very common in the Bible times and scriptures. It's not nearly as common these days, but it's something very common. And the scripture uses that word a lot to describe a lot of different types of skin diseases, some worse than others. We know because of the scripture here in, in 2 Kings chapter 5 that Naaman's leprosy was life-threatening because the king says, am I God, right, to make man live or to die? So Naaman's leprosy was extremely life-threatening and, and, um, and very serious. But here, here's the thing about leprosy. Leprosy affects several things. Leprosy, obviously, most of us know, affects our skin. It's a bacteria that attaches itself to our skin and, and will cause irritation and eventually rot away skin. But not only does it affect skin, it also affects the peripheral nerves, and so there's a lot of, leprosy is extremely painful, um, but, here, but here's the thing, it's extremely painful until it eats away the nerve. So eventually, not only does it eat away your skin, it eats away your nerves, so eventually you become numb. The only thing worse than pain is numbness. The only thing worse than pain is to not be able to feel. And that's what leprosy does, is it causes you pain initially, but eventually over time that pain turns to numbness. And the reason why numbness is worse than pain is because not only do you not feel pain anymore, but you also don't feel joy. You don't feel the presence of God like you used to. You don't 
feel maybe the, the pain that, that's happening or that's being caused or that's causing leprosy anymore, but you also don't get to feel and experience the goodness of God because there's just numbness. And if I'm real honest, the reason why this message impacted me was my leprosy wasn't sin, some kind of deep sin. It wasn't some kind of, some kind of moral failure. My leprosy was disappointment. Disappointment that, man, I'm not where I want to be right now. Or this didn't pan out the way that I thought it should. Or, or just, just things aren't going the way I thought. My, my leprosy was actually disappointment. My leprosy was disappointment, but it was also just dealing with difficult situations over and over and over again. And at first it was painful. But then over time, it actually allowed me to settle into something worse called numbness. Where maybe I didn't feel the pain quite as much anymore, but I also just didn't feel the presence of God like I used to. It wasn't that I didn't feel the presence of God at all. It just wasn't like I used to. This numbness began to seep in. So your leprosy, it may be like me, it may be disappointment. It may be dealing with difficult situations, hard things in life. For you, it may be loss. You've experienced some great losses. For some, it may be, it may be sin. Sin is a disease that eats us alive. At first it hurts, but only thing worse than pain, the only thing worse than pain is numbness. Once again, it doesn't matter how shiny your uniform is if underneath it you're a leper. Is there something eating at the inside of you that's causing you to lose your feeling? Ask any of the dozen or so superstars this past decade that had all the accolades in the world, had all the wealth they could ever imagine or want or need, that had all kinds of people singing their praise, yet chose to end their life. Why did they do that? Because underneath the uniform, underneath the medal, underneath all of their accomplishments, underneath all of their reputation, there was something eating them Alive. It doesn't matter how shiny your uniform is. If underneath there's something eating you alive. Luckily for Naaman, there was a young servant girl from Israel in his house. This young servant girl had the unique position to see beyond the uniform, to see beyond the reputation that everybody else got to see. She had the opportunity because of her unique position as a servant in Naaman's house to be able to see Naaman when the uniform came off. And she knew that even though he was feared by the people, that at home he was a broken man. Even though he had all the accolades that you could ever want from the world, that at home there was something underneath all of that that was eating him alive. And she had the unique position to see it and not be fooled into thinking that Naaman was whole. This little servant girl 
I don't, I don't want you to miss the importance. We're not going to talk a lot about her this morning. We may jump into some more about this girl next week. But I don't want you to miss how significant this unnamed girl in the Bible is. Because if it wasn't for her, that this young servant girl that was a slave in Naaman's house held the key to Naaman's wholeness. And she could have withheld that key, but she chose not to. And luckily for Naaman, this girl was in the house. And the girl tells her servant, her, 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 um, her master, she says, there's this man in in Samaria, a prophet named Elisha. If you can just get to Elisha, if you can just get to Elisha, he holds the key to your wholeness. So in verse 3 and verse, through verse 7, we see that Naaman takes the word of this girl. He goes to his, his king in Syria. He asks for permission to go. But something interesting happens. The king writes a letter and sends it to the king of Israel. Now, wait a second. The girl didn't say that the king of Israel, that, that that's who Naaman needed to see, right? The girl said that she, he needs to see the prophet Elisha. So why is the king sending a letter to the king of Israel when the servant girl said that he needs to see the prophet Elisha? I'm about to go on just a real quick rabbit trail, all right? Just real fast, all right? Here's the thing. The political spirit looks to politics to solve answers that only prophets are, have the authority to solve. When the king got word that he needed to go see a prophet, the king of Syria's response was to send him to another political leader. And what was the political leader's response? He tore his robe and said, am I God that I can kill and make alive? What's he saying? In essence, what he's saying is, why are you sending him to me? I have no authority or power to do what you're asking me to do. I have no authority or power to do what you have asked me to do. And the political spirit every time looks to politics to fix issues that only prophets have the authority to fix. Too many people, I'll be more specific, too many Christians are looking to Washington to fix issues in the world that Washington is terrible at fixing. Not only are they terrible at it, they can't. They can't fix it. We have to stop asking government to do what we are called as priests and kings to do in the earth. The king gets the letter. He panics. He tears his clothes. Am I God to kill and to make alive? But then verse 8. When Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king had tore his clothes, he says, Bring Naaman to me. Bring him to me. Most of us push the nation's problems to Washington because we are not confident enough in who we are to say, bring Naaman to me. Let me say that one more time. 
we push our problems to Washington because we are not confident as a church and as sons and daughters enough in who we are to look Naaman in the eye and say, come to me. I have the authority to do what you need. Washington does not have the power and authority to heal the confusion of the LGBTQ community. They don't have the power and the authority to be able to do that. And yes, we need, I'm not, I, hopefully you know my heart, we need good government. The Bible says in Proverbs 29 that, that when the righteous are in leadership, the people rejoice. When the wicked are in power, there is, there is groaning, the Bible says. We need, we need good godly leaders in our government. So please, please, please do not misunderstand me. But here's the problem. We have so pushed off the nation's issues onto the country that we have stopped telling them to bring the problems to us. That we have the authority to heal. You have the authority to heal. People are not broken because of bad laws. The laws are broken because people are broken. All these new laws and things that are coming out that are, that are horrendous. It's not because the laws are broken. It's because people are broken. And those laws won't ever be fixed as long as the heart of man is still searching. Guess what they're searching for? The sons and daughters of God to be manifested into the earth. If we want to see real change come to our nation, it's not going to be because someone it's not going to be because we elected a Republican into the White House. I hope it happens. But he's not my savior. And he can't fix the heart of Naaman. He can't heal Naaman's leprosy. You have been given authority to do that. So Elisha hears that the king tore his robe, and he says, bring Naaman to me. And church... Man, I feel that so strong. Bring Naaman to me. And, and listen, we as Abba's children may not be there yet, but it's coming. It's happening. As we begin to come into the identity of who we are, fully embracing the fact that we are sons and daughters of God who are dearly and deeply loved by the Father, who carry the same authority that Jesus walked with on the earth, then there's going to become a time where the church is going to rise up and say, listen, you may not be able to fix it, Washington, but bring Naaman to me. Bring him to my house, and he will be healed of his leprosy. It's coming, church. It's coming, church. It's happening right here on this little corner in Leisure, Indiana. There's a group of people who are going to come into the realization of who they are in Christ, and they're going to begin saying, bring Naaman to me. In full confidence, bring Naaman to me. But before we get there, there are many of us who still have to deal with our own leprosy. 
before we can call the Naamans of the world into our, into our churches, we have to heal the Naamans in our churches from their leprosy. We ourselves have to recognize that when I take off my uniform, my pastor uniform, right? My church attendance, perfect, perfect church attendance uniform. When I take off my, my uh, prestigious reputation in the community uniform. When I take off my perfect family uniform. There's something still eating me alive. There's something that's still causing my flesh to cry out. There's something still making me numb on the inside. Naaman goes to the door of Elisha. He brings his whole entourage with him. He brings his, what is it? Let me, let me just tell you. He brings his stuff. <laughs> his 10 talents of silver, his 6,000 shekels of gold, and his 10 changes of clothes. And he stands at the door of Elijah's tent. Naaman is still carrying all of his honor, all of his prestige. He's still wearing his uniform with all of its badges and honors and accolades, all displayed, flashing his great wealth. And what is Elisha's response? He doesn't even leave his tent. He doesn't even come out of his tent. He is completely unmoved by Naaman's wealth and reputation. Naaman is a man who is used to being feared honored, revered, respected. When people, when Naaman would speak to people, they would, they would tremble with fear. And here he is in all of his glory, in all of his splendor, standing before the man of God's tent. And the man of God doesn't even step out of the door. And this ticks Naaman off. Or, yeah, Naaman off. He is mad. Not only does Elisha not come out of the tent, he sends a slave, a messenger, out to Naaman. And not only that, he tells Naaman, listen, this is what you do. Through the messenger, he tells Naaman, listen, here's what you do. If you want to be healed from your leprosy, you go to the Jordan, which is the dirtiest river in all of Israel. And you dip yourself seven times in the river. That makes sense, right? When you come up, you will be clean, it says. And it says that Naaman was furious. Listen to what Naaman says. Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal his leprosy. He's got it all figured out, doesn't he? This is how this is going to work. He's going he's to come out. He's going to bow humbly before me. He's going to wave his hand, say a prayer, and... Lottery, hit the lottery, here we go. I'm done, I'm healed. Are not the Abana 
and the Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in rage. He turned and he went away in rage. And then it says this, that there was a servant of his. Aren't you glad God always puts the right people around you to talk some sense into you? I've had a few times where I've needed some sense talked into me, amen? And this servant said to Naaman, he said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more when he says to you, wash and be clean? Naaman had to do two things in order to be made whole. The first thing he had to do was he had to take off his uniform and humble himself. He had to lay down his reputation. He had to lay down all of the badges and the honor and the prestige that he had accumulated by his own works and his own merit. And he had to come to the realization that all of my pride, all of my honor, all of my accolades, all of them as wonderful as they are, none of them can heal me from my leprosy. He had to realize what what Paul would say thousands of years later, that it is by grace that you have been saved. Not by your own works, lest anyone should boast. The first thing Naaman had to do was he had to lay down his pride. He had to lay down his prestige and his honor. He had to be willing to take off the uniform take off the thing that hid what was eating him on the inside. Be willing to expose that thing so that it could be made whole. The second thing Naaman had to do, the second thing Naaman had to do was he had to stop criticizing the river. Church, he had to stop criticizing the river. I've counseled with enough people and I've heard enough complaints to realize and to know that the breakthrough people need is often found in the river they criticize the most. Let me say that one more time. I've counseled with enough people And I've heard enough complaints to come to the realization that often the breakthrough people need is often found in the river they criticize the most. That Naaman almost missed his healing because he became a critic of a river. For some of you, Listen, I I feel that so strong as I was typing that this week. Some of you need serious, deep breakthrough. But there's been a critical spirit on the inside of you. There's been a critical spirit on the inside of you saying, uh, saying things 
about the move of God in a certain place or in a certain way. And I want to tell you this morning, often, the breakthrough you need is found in the river we criticize the most. Do you know why Naaman criticized the Jordan? It's not just because the Jordan was dirty. Naaman criticized the Jordan, and, and listen to what he says. He says, are not the Abana and the Farpar better? Do you know what the Abana and the Farpar River, where they're located? In Damascus, which is the capital of Syria. It wasn't just that Jordan was dirty. It's that Jordan was unfamiliar. He knew the other two rivers. He grew up playing in those rivers. He grew up knowing how those rivers flow and where every boulder and every rock lay in those rivers. But the Jordan, that was in Israel. And it was unfamiliar. So, Elisha, if all I have to do is wash in a river, why can't I wash in the river that I grew up jumping in? Why can't I wash in the river that I grew up knowing where every rock was placed and every, every, every current was? Why can't I just wash in those rivers? And often we begin to criticize rivers and moves of the Spirit that we are unfamiliar with because we didn't grow up with those rivers. I, I, don't, I don't remember worship ever being like that. I don't remember that ever being preached. And we begin to criticize rivers and legitimate moves of God because it's unfamiliar territory. But Naaman, your breakthrough is found in the river you criticize the most. And for some of you here this morning, this is, I want to say this to you. Your breakthrough is found in the river that you are unfamiliar with. It's found in a river that maybe you're a little uncomfortable with because you didn't grow up knowing it. Now, I hope, again, I feel like I have to put all these little asterisks here. You know I'm not saying go find a weird, um, unbiblical river. Please hear me. But listen, there are rivers that you criticize that are from the Spirit. And in them is your breakthrough. Naaman almost missed his breakthrough because he became a river critic. Naaman almost missed finding wholeness because he was unwilling to go dip in an unfamiliar river. Yeah, the Jordan may be a little muddier than the Abana and the Tharpar, but when Israel exited 40 years of wandering in the wilderness and entered into the land of promise that their, that their father Abraham was given, they didn't cross the Abana. They didn't cross the Tharpar. They crossed the Jordan. And you better not criticize the Jordan River to Elijah because it was on that river where he watched his father, Elijah, take his mantle and strike the river and the waters parted and they crossed on dry land. And as they crossed on dry land, their heavens opened 
and Elisha got to watch Elijah, his father, be taken up into heaven. And Elijah cried out, my, my father, my father, the horses and the chariots of Israel. And then the mantle of Elijah fell into the hands of Elisha. And then Elisha turned around and he didn't strike the Abana. He didn't strike the far par. No, he struck the Jordan and he said, where is the God of Elisha? And he watched the waters part again. It was on that river. And it was on that river in the Jordan that thousands of years after Naaman, thousands of years after Elijah, that a man named John the Baptist stood in the waters. And he looked up on the hill and he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And it was in that river that Jesus made his way into those waters. And John baptized him. And when Jesus came out of the water of the Jordan, the skies opened. A dove descended and remained. And a voice cried out, this is my beloved son. In whom I am well pleased. Be careful what river you criticize. Be careful what river you criticize. Because that may be the very place where you find your breakthrough. Naaman eventually, eventually yields to the word and he goes to the Jordan. The Bible says that he steps into the Jordan and he dips seven times. Now the Bible isn't clear on this, but I imagine that the first time Elijah or the first time Naaman dipped into the river, he probably came out and didn't feel a whole lot different. So he dipped again and the second time, maybe the second time, those places that were numb begin to tingle just a little bit. Then he dipped the third time, then he came out of the water, and maybe at that point his nerves all began firing on all cylinders, and his body became electric with feeling again. And by the time he got to the seventh dip in the river, he was fully restored. In fact, the Bible does tell us that his skin was like that of a little child once again, smooth and whole, and Naaman got his feeling back. He got his feeling back by dipping into the very river that he criticized. Naaman got his feeling back. I want to tell you this morning, if you are feeling numb, if you have something eating on the inside of you, there is a river available to you this morning. Thank you, Jesus. And sometimes you've got to dip and dip and dip, and dip, and you keep coming back over and over again in obedience. In each dip, a little more feeling, a little more wholeness. The rashes begin to disappear. The skin starts to reappear. And wholeness comes as you dip in the river. Paul, if you would, go ahead and come up. The Bible goes on and tells us that when Naaman came back out of the water, he goes back to the tent of Elisha. 
This time Elisha meets him. And Naaman is just full of thanksgiving. And Naaman says, he, he says, Elisha, let me give you my wealth. Let me give you the, the shekels and the gold and the changes of clothes. Let me give you all of this honor and glory. And Elisha refuses. He says, listen, I don't need no gifts. But Elisha may not have been interested in Naaman's wealth, but Naaman was absolutely interested in the dirt that Elisha stood on. And Elijah, Naaman says, okay, you're not going to take my wealth, that's fine, but can I have two mule loads? I don't know how much that is, but it's a lot, apparently. Can I have two mule loads of your dirt that I may take it back with me to Syria? Because when you have an encounter like Naaman had, all of a sudden the shiny things lose their luster. The things of this world begin to lose their what's the, what's the song say? The things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of your glory. And Naaman lost his fascination with the glittery things. And he became fascinated with the place of encounter. He came, became fascinated with the place where he experienced the glory of God. He said, listen, you may not take my riches, but I need to take some of your dirt. Because I want to take back with me the place that I experience the profound presence of God. There's a river here this morning, church. There's a river here this morning, church. There's a place of encounter and a place of presence here this morning. There's a place here this morning where in an act of obedience, the leprosy, the thing that has been eating you on the inside, the thing that has made you numb on the inside can be made whole in the presence of Jesus. And I'm going to just take a little bit of time this morning and give an invitation. If everybody would just stand with me. I'm going to give an invitation for you to be able to step out in obedience. To be able to step into a river. And to be able to be cleansed from that thing that is eating you on the inside. In order to do that, church... You have to take off the uniform. You have to lay aside your pride. You have to lay aside all of your accolades and all of your prestige, all of your own works and the things you have done. And you have to be willing to say yes in obedience to dipping in that river. 
So if there's something on the inside of you this morning that has been stirred by this message, if you can say, yes, Josh, underneath all of the, all of the, uh, the uniform, all of the things I've done to hide what's on the inside of me, there, there's something that is eating on the inside of me, whether it's disappointment, whether it's guilt from sin, whether it's, whether it's uh, the experience of loss and pain and hurt, Whatever it may be, maybe it was you've, you've been stabbed in the back by friends and you've lost your ability to trust. Whatever it may look like for you, if there's something that's been eating on the inside of you and you can say that I have become numb, I've become numb to even the presence of God, then I want to invite you to come forward this morning and step into a river and experience the presence of God where you're at and allow the Father to come and to cleanse you to wash away the thing that has been eating you on the inside. So if that's you this morning, I go ahead. I just want to invite you to come forward this morning so we can pray with you, so you can, so you can step out in obedience. Paul's going to sing, and the rest of us would just worship. And this time, we're going to take just a few moments to allow an opportunity for a step of obedience. Through the sun sets free is free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Through the sun sets free. Oh, is free. Say I 
chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. There's still room up here. In my There's still room up here. If there's something fighting on the inside of you, something stirring on the inside of you, I just encourage you to be obedient to that voice. Be obedient to that voice and just come forward. We want to pray with you this morning. Yes, I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say. just want to sit here at your feet. I'm caught up in this holy moment. I never want to leave. Oh, I'm not here for blessing. Jesus, you
sing this together this morning to close out. Oh, I'm not here for blessings. Jesus, you don't owe me anything more than anything that you can do. I just Father, our heart cry this morning is that we just want you, Jesus. We just want you, Jesus. In whatever way you want to come, in whatever way you want to move in the spirit, Father, in whatever way you want to move in the services, in whatever way you want to move in our homes and in our lives, Father, we just declare that we will stop being critics of the river that you send us. We'll stop being critics of the river that you have asked us to go dip in. Because Jesus, our heart above everything else, is we just want you. One thing have I desired of the Lord. And that one thing will I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, that I may behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his tabernacle. You're all we want, Jesus. You're all we want, Jesus. Father, I declare that the numbness is leaving the room in the name of Jesus. The numbness is leaving the room. Even for those in this room, who would say that they they haven't been completely numb? Just like just like I I was earlier this week that I wasn't totally numb, but I just didn't feel your presence. I didn't know your presence like I had before. God, I just declare that the that the fullness of feeling is coming back in the name of Jesus. The numbness is gone in Jesus' name. As we continually dip into the river. We become whole and restored. God, we submit to your river this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, holy name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more messages like this or information about our church, please visit harmonychurchfamily.org.